630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. to stop the Rileys. He drops back. Blue Chiefs looking for Everly. He's throwing. Go to the end zone. Now McDavid walks in right circle. Back to Everly. Touchdown Eskimos. One timer score. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 Chad. It is showtime. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Hey, the Edmonton Oilers have won four straight. Yes, four straight. Another dramatic one last night, pulling out the overtime victory against the Florida Panthers. Busy couple of days coming up for the Oilers. They host Nashville tomorrow and then are in Calgary on Saturday. Tomorrow's game on 6.30, Chad, 5.30 for the face-off show, and the game will start at 7. Todd McClellan not committing to a starting goaltender as of yet. A lot of speculation we might see Laurent Brossois for the first time this season in one of those two games. I can also tell you that Anton Lander called back up from the farm. Of course, Jujar Kara injured last night against Florida. He saw a doctor this afternoon, so hopefully it's nothing too serious for the big rookie. It is 6.07. My name is Reed Wilkins, Inside Sports on 6.30. Chet, plenty of hockey and oiler talk. Uh, later on, Kelly Rudy's going to join us, but pretty big story, especially for people of my generation. Tim Raines, the great Montreal Expo from the 1980s, finally voted into the Baseball Hall of Fame, and who better to talk about that than the former play-by-play voice of the Montreal Expos. I grew up listening to and watching this man. We welcome Dave Van Horn to Inside Sports. Dave, you're on with Reed. How are you doing, sir? Reed, just terrific. Thank you. It's great to talk to you again. I believe the last time we talked would have been, uh, I'm going to say maybe two, two and a half years ago, because you got voted into the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame, right? Yes, I did. A, a great honor. Uh, I, I'm a little overwhelmed by all of that. Uh, honored by Cooperstown and then by the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame. Just terrific. Well, that's uh, good stuff. And you're still uh, are yeah. you still doing Marlins games, right? Yeah, this will, this coming season will be my 17th year broadcasting uh, Marlins baseball on the radio. And how many years did you do uh, Expos games? 32. 32 years of doing Expos games. And, uh, well, like I mentioned, that, that your voice was, was my connection to a lot of those games uh, when I was growing up. And, uh, you know, there might be a game of the week that, that I would get to watch. And one of the guys I loved watching was Tim Raines because he was such an exciting player. Now, in my mind, and obviously I'm biased, Dave, but overdue, that he finally gets voted into the hall. Let me start there before we talk about some of Tim's highlights. Why do you think it it, it took so long, you know, for the, what, the 10th time around for Tim to be voted in? Reed, I wish I had a really good answer for that. I don't. uh, I don't know why it took so long. I think there are a lot of people who just in recent days, excuse me, I've seen some writers uh, speak to the fact that they just didn't know that much about Tim Raines. Uh, Andre Dawson alluded to the fact years ago that playing north of the border can be tough as far as getting uh, national publicity uh, from coast to coast all across North America. And uh, that may be uh, a part of it. 
but there is no question in my mind, because I got to see him every day, every year he wore that Expos uniform, and uh, he was an absolute delight from the very beginning, a very exciting player and a very talented player. Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting because it's certainly, as you know, Davis, we got into the 90s, and look, obviously the home run has always been a huge play in baseball, don't get me wrong, um, but, you know, you had some gaudy home run numbers and the home run record fell a couple of times. I don't know if people forgot the value of a stolen base or you just didn't have as many people who got up over 70 like Tim did, uh, 70 or higher, six times in his career. Do you think people forgot the, I don't know, the value of a speedster? Yes, yes absolutely. I think they uh, failed to pay attention to the uh, overwhelming numbers he delivered as a leadoff batter. I mean, Tim Raines got on base more than Tony Gwynn got on base. Uh, he had 808 stolen bases in his career. Only four players had more than that. They're all in the Hall of Fame. And uh, Reigns was just a, a wonderful talent and an exciting performer, and it's just a shame uh, that it took this long. Now, that having been said, uh, I remember my partner, Duke Snyder, reminding me, because I was there, I saw it, He waited 11 years to get in. So some of the greats of this game that are in Cooperstown waited a long time. But you know what happens? As soon as they are elected, that's all forgotten. It's all in the past. And for Tim Raines yesterday, as he said, the greatest day in his baseball career. But that's going to be topped this summer in Cooperstown in July when he is there for four days to hang out with the other Hall of Famers and then the induction ceremony, and that'll be something he'll never forget. It's a once-in-a-lifetime happening, and Rock is going to be just, he's going to be overjoyed, number one. He's going to be overwhelmed, and he's going to feel very humble in the presence of all of the other Hall of Famers. So uh, he's in for a treat. Dave Van Horn joining us on Inside Sports, longtime broadcaster for the Montreal Expos, now with the Miami Marlins as we discuss the great career of Tim Raines. He's been elected to the Baseball uh, Hall of Fame. You know, there. I, I want to ask you about a specific game, first of all, and I know you've called thousands of them, but, but I'm pretty sure this one will stand out if I just say the date. Uh, May 2nd, 1987. It was uh, Tim's return to the lineup. There, there were some contract and collusion issues. We could do a whole other interview on that, but we'll just say because of some stuff going on in baseball, he couldn't play in April, and he comes back May second, nineteen eighty-seven, and uh, <laughs> and he reminded people why the Expos needed him in the lineup, didn't he? Well, he sure did. Uh, the first after that long layoff, the first pitch he saw was thrown by David Cohn of the Mets at Shea Stadium, and Rock ripped it off the wall for a triple. And the thing I remember most about the triple was it's the pitcher's job to back up behind third base. And David Cohn raced over there as Reigns was racing toward third base, and David Cohn started to backpedal as deep behind third as he could get, and he hit a partition back there, and he toppled right over into the camera bin trying to cover third base. Meanwhile, Tim Raines stood up, clapped his hands, and had a triple to lead off the game. He wound up, and you know this, Reed, he wound up going 
four for five in that first game back. And to cap it all off, hit a game-winning grand slam home run in the 10th inning. What a return to baseball for Tim Raines at that game at Chase Stadium in 1987. That's one that's, that stands out for sure. Um, I mean, you, you saw him play so, so many games. I'll, I'll ask kind of an, a more open one here. Any, any other moment or play that stands out for him? I mean, we should point out, too, uh, I remember anyway, he was a pretty smooth defensive player as well. Does, it, does anything else stand out for you, Dave? Well, everything. his career stands out to me because uh, Reigns was so electrifying and so explosive off first base. He's one of the few players to play this game where at any given point in the ball game, especially with the game on the line and Reigns at first base, everybody in the ballpark would know that he was going to steal second. Everybody would know that, particularly the opposing pitcher and catcher. And yet he would steal second. He had a terrific uh, success rate in stealing bases. And uh, he just electrified fans. He loved playing the game. He had a lot of fun playing the game. We can, I can still see that smile on his face down on the field. And, of course, we think back now as Expos fans back in the day when we had Andre Dawson, Gary Carter, and Tim Raines, now all Hall of Famers, on the field at the same time. Yeah, that's first of all, you make a great point about the great players Everybody knows what they're going to do, and they still can't be stopped, regardless of the sport. So that's a great observation. Yes. And, and yes. you ref, you reference Carter and Dawson. Uh, now Reigns. Um, I mean, the franchise has been out of Montreal now for for over a decade. Is is there anybody? Is there any other ex Expo or somebody with a connection to the Expos that still might get into the hall someday? Or is this maybe uh, it for the uh, franchise? A great big, tall, strong hitting and strong-armed outfielder by the name of Vladimir Guerrero. Yeah. And I, th- I think it's going to happen for Vlad. And the player that I plan to talk about a lot this coming season, in addition to Vlad, who came oh so close this year, is Larry Walker. Larry Walker, just a wonderful baseball talent, put up terrific numbers, and is deserving a very strong Hall of Fame consideration. In my book and in my estimation, he should be a Hall of Famer. Well, and and Larry's part of the 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 what if team, right? And that you know from because wasn't he young in '94, and then one of the guys when they kind of broke up that team that was traded away. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, there are some certainly some sad stories uh, along the way uh, concerning those expos, and uh, perhaps none more so than 1994. But uh, yeah, Larry Walker was not only a, 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 a terrific talent, it should be pointed out that he didn't play baseball until late in life for a baseball player. He was in his late teens when he really started thinking about him playing baseball. He was a hockey player. He was a goaltender. And uh, I've never seen a player with as a uh, variety of instinctive ability on the baseball field who started out playing the game late in his uh, teen years. He had great instincts uh, to play the game, was one of the best base runners in the National League. He had power. He could also steal bases and did. And he was a wonderful defender. 
He was one of the first outfielders to regularly fake hitters and base runners into thinking he was going to catch a ball that he couldn't catch. <laughs> he just had terrific instincts. He could deke people into thinking, I got this, I got this, and that he knew it was over his head or off the wall, and then play a perfect Karen and make a strong throw somewhere. He was just a, a, a lot of fun to watch because of his baseball instincts taking over on a moment-to-moment basis down on the field. So I'm a big Larry Walker fan, and I hope to see it happen some year. That's awesome. Dave, just one more for you, and and I should ask you about one of the biggest stories of the previous calendar year, and obviously the Cubs at long last won the World Series. Now, you you, you, you would have called a lot of Cubs games along the years, over the years. Uh, I want to say 85, I think they edged out the Expos to win the National League East, but um, there have been a lot of Cubs teams that weren't that good over the years as well. Just as somebody, you've spent all your professional life in baseball, um, how much did that resonate with you that the Cubs finally won the World Series? I'm glad that they did. I'm glad that they got over that hump. I'm glad for their fans uh, who have supported that team uh, for the most part through thick and thin. Although I can remember the days when they didn't have very good teams and had trouble drawing at Wrigley Field. But when they were competitive on the field, the fans there uh, turned out in big numbers. So I I was happy uh, for the Cubs. And I can think back to the 2003 season when uh, the Marlins really upset the Cubs' apple cart because the Cubs were just uh, five outs away from a trip to the World Series when the Marlins staged a terrific comeback in game six and then beat them again in game seven and uh, upset the Cubs who were destined that year in the minds of many to go to the World Series and the Marlins took it away from them and went on and won the World Series themselves in 2003. But I was really happy for the Cubs and I'm a big Joe Madden fan so I was happy for Joe and his bench coach a former Expo, Dave Martinez. Right, that's right. I, I love all the connections there. And I guess, yeah, the, the name Steve Bartman has a different meaning to the Marlins fans than it does to the Cubs fans. But that's that's another story, yeah, too. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> it sure does. And, and I've defended Steve Bartman for years and years. There's more talk about Steve Bartman than there was about uh, the Cubs shortstop Alex Gonzalez uh, uh, booting a routine double play ball that would have gotten them out of the inning. Dave, I really appreciate you coming on tonight, uh, and just thanks for sharing some of your memories of Tim Raines and and why it's significant that he's going into the Hall of Fame. Uh, enjoy the enjoy your off season. I guess it's going to get busy for you here in a few weeks, and I hope we can talk again. We're ready to start it up. Uh, thanks for having me, Reed, and uh, we're all so happy for Tim Raines. And so, for everybody in Expos Nation, it's another feather in their cap. Right on. That is Dave Van Horn checking in tonight. Love talking to him inside sports on 630 Ched. And uh, yeah, no better person to get some perspective on uh, on the great player, the great career that Tim Raines had. And uh, I know for some of you listening, you're probably like, Montreal Expos, what's the deal with them? And probably a lot of you are saying, yes, this is great. Dave Van Horn, Tim Raines, uh, an expo getting some love. Because I got to say, when I was a kid, I was, uh, the Expos were my introduction to baseball, not the Blue Jays. Uh, The Blue Jays, you know, weren't on, at least I don't remember being a little guy, I don't remember them being on TV as much. 
and they weren't as good as Montreal was. I mean, they got really good, obviously, 85 on, but Montreal was kind of the better team of the two Canadian clubs. I loved Reigns. I loved, uh, absolutely loved Gary Carter, Wallach, Dawson. Those were probably my four favorite guys in terms of uh, guys who played the field. And I remember, uh, you know, Bill Gullickson pitching, Steve Rogers pitching. Yeah, so good for Tim Raines to finally get into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Tell you what, you can text 630-630. The phone number is 780-496-0063. We're going to transition a little bit into what's going on with the Edmonton Oilers. Kelly Rudy standing by to join us as well. It's Inside Sports on 630 Chet. This is Cam Talbot from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chet. Well, Will Cam Tarter, uh, Cam Tarter, Cam Talbot be the Oilers' starter tomorrow. They really shouldn't let me do live radio. I should have to pre-record the entire show and edit out all my mistakes. Will he be the starter tomorrow against Nashville? Will the Oilers give Laurent Brassois a chance in net? We will talk about that in the next half hour of the show. That's obviously uh, hotly debated. We'll also talk about, I don't want to spend too much time on it, because quite frankly, I, I, I find it a, a little odd, especially given what you Oilers fans have been through, and it's certainly not everybody. Uh, but there are actually some people quit critiquing the quality of the Oilers' victories. 25-15-7, I think that's a good record. Uh, yeah, they've won a few in overtime or shootout. So have a lot of teams. I'm, I'm going to get into that in more detail because it's certainly not unique to the Oilers that they have uh, a few overtime wins under their belt. Seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three is the phone number. You can text six thirty six thirty. Doug Waite, new interim head coach of the New York Islanders, they lead the Dallas Stars one nothing in the second period. Senators up one nothing in Columbus, also in the second frame. After one, it's Rangers 2, Maple Leafs 1. In the first period, Washington has a 2-0 edge on St. Louis, and the Wild have jumped out to a 1-0 lead on the Coyotes. Later on tonight, the Flames host the Predators. Then the Predators come up here to play Edmonton tomorrow. The Ducks face the Avalanche, and the Lightning meet the Sharks. So uh, several Pacific Division teams in action tonight while the Oilers have the night off. Edmonton, two behind the Ducks. One ahead of the Sharks. They have played the same number of games as the Ducks. The Sharks have two games in hand. Some text to 630-630. This person says, Hello, my first Expo memory was Rusty Staub. Le Grand Orange. Isn't that what they call them? That was before my time. But yeah, I think he was... uh, I'm sure this texter will tell me. Was he the first great Expo? Or at least their first good player? Is that that fair to put it? And uh, Mark says... I'm 23 years old. I remember going to watch a game in Montreal. I hardly remember the game or the team, but the Expos were my favorite team, and I grew a lifelong love for that Expos logo. Mark, that's pretty cool. And you're probably on the very young end of guys who have some sort of an affinity for the Edmonton Esc- or, or the uh, Montreal Expos. I mean, wasn't it uh, 2004 when they left? So Mark would have been pretty young. So that's cool. He, uh, he remembers that and is still happy to hear about the team. That was great to have Dave Van Horn on the show. Great to have Tim Raines going into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Okay, uh, we'll delve more into the Oilers story when we get back. Kelly Rudy standing by. Oh, and this is cool. Later on tonight, we'll catch up with Darrell Walker, a guy who lifted you out of your seats cheering for the Eskimos over the past couple of seasons. Now he'll be trying to do that for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That is all ahead. It's Inside Sports on 630 Chet. Back after the news.
630 Chat. Flick to the far corner, Trocheck trying to center, stolen away by Drysaddle. Eight seconds to go. McDavid's going to have a breakaway to win it. He's over the line. Backhander scores! Connor McDavid with 2.6 to go. After dinner review, the call the ice is confirmed. We have a good goal. The Edmonton Oilers win the game. Four, three, in overtime. You know, I think fair to say, and well, the head coach said it, and several of the players alluded to it last night, not the greatest outing by the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, I think Florida played with more energy, and we talk a lot about details. They were more detailed. I think it uh, caused the Oilers to be and look a little too tentative at times. And, uh, you know, they had to fight back, get a late goal from Jordan Eberle to finally tie it. And then, uh, obviously, McDavid makes the incredible rush in overtime, scores with 2.6 seconds left to go. You know, it's, it's funny. The Oilers are now 25-15-7 and seven on the season. They are in a playoff spot, clearly. Several teams would have to pass them for them to be knocked out of the playoffs. Now, they have won three of those four games in overtime or a shootout. I, I, I get it. I mean, but in early December, they, they had a five-game stretch. They lost three times in overtime or, or a shootout. But somebody actually tweeted me last night, and the, the, basic, the, the, the text was, I'll just paraphrase it, but it, the, the tweet was basically, uh, I'm concerned that the Oilers are playing down to the level of their competition. They should be blowing some of these teams out. So I, I was a bit of a, a bit cheeky on Twitter. I, I quoted that tweet so everybody could see it. And I wrote, 10 years out of the playoffs, and now they're not winning by enough. And look, I understand you look at some of the games and you think to yourselves, man, that was close to teetering or going the other way. But I mean, a lot of games are, are, are like that. And, you know, maybe this, and look, here's the thing. The Oilers, they're going to hit a rough patch. And quite frankly, I would not be the least bit surprised that we're going to see maybe a 5-6 game rough patch sometime between now and the end of February. After tomorrow, they play 12 of their next 16 games on the road. That can get a little tiring, though I, though I know they do have the bye week uh, coming up in early February. And maybe February is going to be a little bit like November, where the results are, are underwhelming and they, they stagnate a little bit in terms of the standings. But if the Oilers avoid a disastrous part of the season, like where they go three weeks without winning, they're going to stay in the playoff hunt. And every little point is is going to matter along the way. Now, look, it's it's fair to look at last night's game and say, let's not keep playing that way because we're playing with fire. And Todd McClellan even referenced that today. We've been at home for a while. We've been able to win games. Um, but there's a little bit of concern, too. Like uh, Jacques Lemaire, when I was in Minnesota with their, uh, their farm team, used to talk about... Um, your game almost like your body you have a germ that that creeps into your body and then you get sick and i just want to make sure that germ isn't sneaking into our uh, our team because i didn't think last night we were particularly good and in fact i didn't think we were the better team so um we've got six more periods to play against two really good teams and then we can breathe a bit uh but these six periods are important you know and i like the way that he put that in there that that 
you know, they're worried about the germ coming in there and maybe you win a couple you shouldn't and then you might lose a few. And that, and that totally could happen. I, I, I don't look at the Oilers team and say, yep, Stanley Cup contender. But I do look at them and say they have figured some things out. And, and for me, I don't have the the least bit of a problem looking at a team and saying, okay, it was a bit of an off night and you still won. That That absolutely does not bother me. Because I've seen it hundreds of times in my life watching sports. I also don't have a problem with a team winning close games. The Edmonton Eskimos, to close out the 2015 season, had a 10-game winning streak. And a lot of those games were decided by a single-digit total. Or a last-play field goal. Or winning the Grey Cup on a quarterback sneak with three minutes left. You got 60 minutes to figure it out. Now, the Oilers were presented with a problem last night with five minutes left. They weren't playing that great, and they were down a goal. Florida had just scored. You know what? They figured it out. Now, I I totally agree. They were fine. They, They could have played better last night. And... Yep. Okay. I mean, I don't. I don't know. I mean, somebody said last night. Well, they're winning games in overtime. I say, fair enough. It'd be nice if they could dictate games a little more often. I don't know if they're quite at that stage yet. To to be perfectly frank, I don't know if that they're in that stage in their development in both terms of maturity and cohesion, and in terms of depth of the roster to go out there and and dictate games and do what a lot of good teams do and, and kind of win the game in the first 30 minutes and then put it to sleep in the last 30. I don't think they're at that point to do that consistently. But I don't look at that, given where the team has been over the last decade, and say that's a huge negative because I do see I, I can see them getting there if they fill out the roster a little bit more and their current players add a little bit of maturity and experience just to being in the NHL. Uh, this texture says, Reed, I've been quite critical of the play of Eberle, Nugent Hopkins, and Pouliot for the first half of the season. With that being said, I have been extremely happy with their play as of late. The compete level is there, and we're starting to see positive results with that line. As far as the people complaining about how the Oilers are winning, tell them to shut the front door. Haters are going to hate. They're not true Oilers fans, in my opinion. As the saying goes, they don't ask how, they ask how many. Have a good one. That's a text to 63630. Well, look, and, and the overtime debate is an interesting one. Montreal Canadiens, I had this as a trivia question the other night, in 1993, won 10 of their 16 playoff wins in overtime. They didn't ask them to give the cup back because they won too many overtime games. And just for some perspective... Just for some perspective about games tied after 60 minutes. The Oilers have had 15 games that have gone to overtime or a shootout. They're 8-7 and seven in those games. It's not like they're only getting wins because of, of their overtime record. They're pretty much even. They have won four in a row. They were 4-7. and seven. Uh, I just looked up some other teams. The Philadelphia Flyers and Detroit Red Wings have also both gone to overtime 15 times. They're 9-6, and six, better than the Oilers. Should we discredit their record? Columbus Blue Jackets, best team in the league. They're 7-4 and four in overtime games, first overall. Should we discredit their record? The Chicago Blackhawks, one of the best teams in the league over the last seven or eight years. They're 9-5 and five in overtime. Are we to believe they're not actually that, that good? The San Jose Sharks, the Oilers are jockeying with them for position in the division. They have not gone to overtime as often, but they're 6-2, and two, well above 500 in overtime and shootout games. Should we, should we discredit their record? I mean, look, overtime and shootout is another way to win a game. If, if you happen to be proficient 
in it or can be a little bit over 500 in your extended time games by the end of the season, uh, more credit to you. And, and, and yes, I, I, I totally recognize, sure, elements of, of the Oilers game need to be more detailed, need to be rounded out. And I do think there's probably going to be a rough patch that might last three to six games between now and the end of February. Schedule-wise, the way they're playing-wise, absolutely. I, I think something rough is going to creep in, but you got some points in the bank. And when have we been? When was the last time we were ever to say anything like that? This texture says, can we quit referencing the last decade? It has literally no bearing on this season. So I don't care if we were bad before. It has no effect on this season, does it? That's true, but I, I you know, to that texture, it, it's it's impossible not to reference it, quite frankly. Because if I don't reference it, somebody else is going to reference it. And, and I read a lot of stuff, and there are a lot of people out there as fans who were have been scarred by what happens and i use scarred in the text in the context of being a a sports fan not in the context of some awful things that can actually happen in your life but but there are a lot of people who have been scarred as oilers fans over the last decade and therefore refuse to accept that anything good that is happening is going to last so when I get a phone call or a text or a tweet from somebody saying, well, this isn't actually that good, or what if this happens, or, or we're bound to experience something bad, well, then I have to talk about it. But, but you're right. It, there's a point where it has no bearing on last season. Just like for the Pittsburgh Penguins, winning the Stanley Cup ultimately doesn't have a lot of bearing on, what, on what's happening this season. But to that texture, the, the past is always going to be referenced and, and bundled into what's going on this year. Uh, the Big L says, Reed started well last night against a team they should beat. Second period, they put in an effort like they were playing a game against a team they knew they were going to beat. Third period, they were given a strong indication they were going to be beat by this very same team, and they responded just in time. That is for the Big L. Murray says, uh, you uh, always hear about how, oh, if they had won those 12 games where they only lost by a goal, they would have made the playoffs. Well, it's good when a team can win those one goal or overtime games. Well, it's a fair point. And at the end of the day, would you sooner see... I mean, I don't know. Like I said, the Oilers are 8-7 and seven in overtime games. Would, would the people questioning that be happier if they were 4-11? Would they be happy if they were, had lost those games in regulation time instead of getting a point or two? I mean, that's the, it, the argument just goes back and forth for me. Seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. You can text six thirty six thirty. All right. So what's going on with the uh, goaltending situation? Well, Jim Matheson and I were asking about that after practice this morning. Todd, your goaltending rotation. Is there a chance that Brassois might play tomorrow because you've got back to back games? Uh, potentially, yeah. Do you not have to get them in a game, or you just keep winning the game, so you just keep going with your starter? Well, we have two goaltenders. Um, our goal is to win games, and uh, that's what we're doing. We're we're not, as I mentioned before, we're not in the development phase here right now, as far as goaltenders go. And um, we'll talk as a staff after the morning skate. We'll see how both of them felt. Uh, consult with Dustin on uh, where they're at. And tomorrow morning, we'll know who's starting. 
general question about goaltending. How strongly do you subscribe to the philosophy that's been common in the league recently, and I guess among people who watch the league, that you don't start the same goaltender on back-to-back nights? How much weight does that carry with you? Well, these next uh, four games, I'll probably be able to show you the answer. You're not going to get me to bite on any goaltender things today. Uh, We'll take it one game at a time. All right. Well, I tried to get him to bite. He didn't. So we'll see. (laughs) Uh, MW says on the text line, uh, I am scarred. That's a fair statement. The Oilers went on the cup run in 06 and haven't seen a winning team since. I think people don't understand what a winning team looks like or what to do with it. We will always want more, but let's be happy now with what we have. That's from MW. I, I do think that's true, that some people have forgot what it's like just to kind of have a, uh, a normal season. Uh, Todd says, uh, Reed, by the way, Todd, it's R-E-I-D, not R-E-A-D, but I do appreciate it. He goes, it's one thing to reference the past, but it seems like you beat the past to death. Let this new team breathe. Uh, Todd, I don't think I do, quite frankly. I think I talk about it a lot less than, than a lot of other people in the media, to be quite frank. I, I think we, we always will reference things that happens, happened in the past. I think you kind of have to. It's, it's part of a team's story, whether it's been good or bad. But I, I, I quite frankly, everybody's entitled to opinion. Todd, I don't think that's a fair comment if it's directed at me. Because I think I talk about the past and try to focus on this year's team uh, probably more than a lot of people. We have Dave on the line, 780-496-0063. Hey, Dave. Hey, how's it going? Good. Um, I want to agree with about your comment about everybody should stop worrying about the last 10 years unless worry about the first this year right now. And then my uh, question is to you was, do you think the others are going to try to secure Davidson so he doesn't get traded? Uh, no, I don't. No? Okay. I, I think Davidson might be exposed in the expansion draft, to be honest with you. All right. I think Thank that's very, very much, possible. Sir. Okay, yeah, no problem, Dave. Seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three six forty eight. We're going to take a quick timeout. Kelly Rudy's coming up. Darrell Walker as well. Inside Sports on 630 Chet. This is Oscar Clefbaum from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to the Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chet. mesmerized by the uh, Andrew WK. It's Inside Sports on 6.30. Chad, it is 6.51. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. The uh, irreplaceably versatile Warren Mulvey, working as our uh, studio producer this evening. How's it going, buddy? Good. How are you, Reed? Good. You got, you got a shift on iNews after this, or are you reading iNews at the same time? No, no, not tonight. I'm just here for you tonight, Reed iNews on the weekend. Just came in especially to do Inside Sports. Exactly. Are you still a Nate student? I am technically, yes. Well, well, technically, either you are or you aren't. Well, I am, yeah. But I, <laughs> but I, this is a job. It's, I'm not just free labor. So this is your practicum, but you've been hired on your practicum. That's, those those that's are the correct. best practicums. I did not have that luxury. I was, I'm very lucky, I have to say. You are a lucky young man. Yeah. Well, sort of young men. Did you have a, uh, a favorite uh, baseball player as a kid? Uh, I'll say no because I, I'll be honest. I didn't like baseball probably until about five or six years ago. But now, I mean, Edwin is probably my favorite baseball player, to be honest. Where did he go? Baltimore? I thought Cleveland. Or Cleveland, sorry. Yeah. He was yeah, looking so at Baltimore, yes. I like lots of the Jays. and Bautista sticking around, though. Yeah, that's good news. 
seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. You can text six thirty six thirty. Oh, I lost the text. Where is it? Mike from the West End. Ray Reed, what did you think of Pouliot's performance last night? He took a terrible penalty again, put us in a terrible position after giving up a power play goal. Is there anyone else that can take his place? I'm sick of his poor decisions. Mike from West End. Well, uh, I think if they had someone who would take his place, he would be in there. I do think Pouliot has looked a little better over the last couple of weeks. Here's the thing about Pouliot, I mean, we've seen this a few times, and and Rob Brown has, has referenced this on uh, overtime open line several times. It, it seems sometimes Pouliot, and he's he's not like a he's not like a crazy guy that just goes nuts and will jump somebody and try to beat them up or swing his stick at someone's head, but he just seems to have these little moments of frustration. I mean, what was the game uh, a few weeks ago where he collided with somebody and he turned around and swung his stick at the puck and he wound up tripping somebody? And then even last night, he's in that battle with a guy. And you're right, like there's there's no reason to grab his stick. And and at his age and at his point in his career, I, unfortunately, I don't think that's going to be weaned out of his game. I mean, we've, we've seen stretches where he's, he's better with it. Um, but I, I have thought, I mean, to be fair, if I'm going to be critical, then i got to say good things, too. That line has forechecked a little better lately. I think Pouliot's been around the puck more and has had the puck more. But, yes, I mean, he has the the tendency, the characteristic to take the ill-advised, illy-timed penalty. There's 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 no other way to put it. And, and I, you know what, I, I know... Some people didn't think that was a penalty last night. That was that was a clear penalty. Once you saw the replay, he he grabbed his stick. So, I mean, he's he, he's looking for that little advantage to try to get the puck or try to forecheck, and unfortunately, it it, it too often leads to him taking a penalty. I, I I think he'll they'll keep the lines together as they are for now. At some point, Lucic is going to get moved back up into a top six role, and I, I just think logically it's Pouliot that would drop out because I don't, you can't take Maroon out right now. I know he's got a couple of games without scoring, but he's having this incredible run, and he fits in very well with McDavid and Drysaddle. You know, I, I, again, I, and I know there's a lot of talk about Shattenkirk. Elliot Friedman was on Bob's show today. Oilers now, that's noon to two every day here on Ched. And, you know, could Shattenkirk come to the Oilers as a rental? Elliot kind of said that seemed pretty pretty unlikely. I, I think that the guys in the main positions for this year, you know, that's the roster. And you, you live with their strengths, and, and you hope their weaknesses don't come up to bite you too often. I, I, I just think that I, I don't think there's going to be a trade involving one of the higher-paid players during the season. I, I think that's unlikely. Now, the off-season again, as always, is going to be interesting because you're going to have to pay Drysital probably a, a bridge contract. I would think maybe he gets two years, ten million, and then next summer. I mean, what is, what is McDavid likely going to get in the summer of 2018? 80, 80 million over eight years, probably. That's probably what it's going to be. So there's going to be some jockeying for Shirelli to, you know, probably clear one of the other larger contracts off the books, right? That's probably where we're headed here. Brad's on the phone line. Brad, go ahead, buddy. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Um, I agree with you. I think the Oilers, um, the Oilers uh, roster is 
we're going to say status quo. But I think if we were to keep okay, so Drysaddle is a centerman. Yep. And I don't think. Oh. Yeah, keep going, Brad. Hello? Yeah, keep going, okay, Brad. Sorry. We're good. Sorry. Okay. So I think if we if we could add one position, I think it's the third center. If we're going to keep Drysaddle on the right with Eberle as the second line and Lucic on the left with Maruna left, I think going, if we were to make the playoffs and going into the playoffs, I think Kajula is going to get destroyed. Not enough experience, not enough size. I, I just think, what do you think of like a, a guy like Mar, uh, Martin Hansel, <laughs> the third line center? If, if we were to go and make one trade, because if we get a third line center, that allows Drysaddle to continue with McDavid, because now we—I I don't know. What do you think, Brad? I wish you—I I wish you were sitting here right now because as you were talking, I wrote the name Hansel down. Oh. Um, <laughs> I mean, I—I I don't know if I would trade the first rounder for him, but no. that'd be a heck of a rental because he's huge. And let's face yeah. it, the Oilers still aren't a very good face-off team. And he would help there, and and then plus he's also. The, I mean, how old is he now? Is he thirty? Is he thirty five? Is he that old? Or am I thinking Martin of Verbata? No, I think he's like twenty nine or twenty eight. He's not even the UKF, yeah, so he's still relatively young. It's right, it's Verbata that's older. But I just think Kajula will get crushed in the playoffs. Yeah, that because I think Kajula will be pretty good, but he's not at the point where he's consistent yet, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, I wouldn't mind Hansel as a target, and I mean, there's talk about Doan as well. And I, I yeah, and I mean even Verbata as a sh- possible shooter. Um, Hansel I, I is. Think we size, I think we we already. I think we need our third line center. I, I'm not looking for finesse. I'm looking for like. Well, I, I hate to bring this up, but like, uh, Kyle Brodziak would have been well. Ten-year oiler as a third line center. Well, a lot of those ships have sailed. Yeah, Hansel's going to turn thirty in a month. As six six, yeah. about two thirty five, uh, does get hurt sometimes, right? He's had a couple injuries in his yeah. career, but yeah, I I don't think we need any more finesse at that position. Fair point, Brad. Thanks for calling, buddy. Yeah, thank you. Okay, we got a break for the news, then we're going to bring in Kelly Rudy and Darrell Walker. It's Inside Sports on six thirty. Chad six thirty. Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins weekdays at six on six thirty. Chad.